0: We'll read the whole chapter Isaiah chapter fifty five. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples, Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. We thank God for his word. Well, today is Palm Sunday and it marks uh, the beginning of the most important week of the year for believers We remember a week in history that was unlike any other week before or after it. It's the week that did change the world forever. It's a week that opened up the way for sinners like you and me to be saved, to be forgiven, to have the sure hope of heaven. And that's why this week is so important for us. We remember the resurrection of Jesus every single Lord's Day. But on this particular week in the year, we cast our minds back to that week that began with the entry into Jerusalem on the donkey and culminated at the crucifixion and then at the beginning of the next week, the resurrection. And We need to, be, we need to know these things and we need to be certain of these things. We need to know that they really did happen. We live in a world where history is constantly being reinterpreted and retold. And we are being told that these things didn't really happen. We need to be absolutely certain that they did happen, that there was a time in history when the Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem. There was a time in history when he died on that cross of Calvary. And there really was... And still is an empty tomb. We need need to know for certain that we are saved and that this is the only way of salvation. Now, in order to shed light on these events and on our salvation, we can actually turn back 700 years before the triumphal entry and the events of this week. And we can turn back to the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah gives us a clear and powerful invitation to be saved. But he follows that with four very simple but effective reasons why we can be sure that this is the only way to be saved. And that's what Isaiah 55 is is all about. It's an invitation, it's a gospel invitation. If we didn't know that it was written by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, we wouldn't think it out of place to read it in one of the Gospels. Because it is such a wonderful invitation. In fact, there are echoes of this chapter when the Lord Jesus stands up in the great feast in John chapter 7 and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Certainly the Lord Jesus had in his mind this wonderful chapter in Isaiah when he spoke those words because they are speaking of Jesus and they are putting those words in Jesus' mouth. In fact, we would go further than that. This is the word of Jesus. This is the word of God. As Isaiah writes, he is writing the word of God. This is the Lord speaking. So at the beginning of the chapter, "'Come, all you who are thirsty,' is very much that call of the Lord Jesus. But remember, it was written 700 years before Jesus ever came. What is this chapter about? Well, it it tells us that the way to be saved is simple, and yet it is incomprehensible. The way to be saved is simple, but incomprehensible. First of all, it's an invitation And it's an invitation to everyone. Isn't that refreshing? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone. There is not a single person in this world who is excluded from that gospel invitation. We call out to everybody, everywhere, that they may come. Come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. The gospel does not exclude anybody at all. The gospel is simple. It doesn't demand anything that the youngest child cannot do. It doesn't demand anything that the oldest person could not do. It doesn't exclude people who are weak. It doesn't exclude people who are ignorant. It doesn't exclude the poor. It doesn't exclude the disabled. It is simply come, come and hear. That is the word of the gospel. That's the invitation that the Lord God gives it's stated most clearly in verse three of Isaiah 55, "Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live." That's the invitation of Jesus Christ. He says, "Come to me." He says, "Hear me, listen, and your soul may live. Of course, a problem that we have is that there are so many voices. There is so much noise in our world, isn't it? It is rare for us to have quiet. It is rare for us to have silence. We have our headphones in, and we're listening to music, or we're listening to talking, or we're listening to the radio, even as we walk outside. We have music on. We have a television on. We have an iPlayer. We have everything that we want in order to shut out those periods of quiet. But the Lord Jesus says, get rid of all of that. Stop all of that. Put it all off. Listen to me, he says. And why should we? Because your soul will live if you do. If you come to Jesus Christ, if you accept this invitation, if you respond to him, your soul will live. Now you say, well, I didn't even know I had a soul. Yes, you do. You do have a soul. You're not simply physical. You're not simply body. You're not simply a person with a physical being and with a brain. You also have a mind. You also have a heart that feels. You also have emotions. You have a will. You have a soul. Your soul is inseparable from your body It will be separated from your body when you die, but right now it is part of you. And your soul, says the Lord Jesus, is dead. It is insensible, it is unresponsive until you come to me. But if you come to me, your soul will live. You will have vigor, you will have hope, you will have true spiritual life. But what exactly is expected of us, you might say? You say, listen to me and come to me. What does that really mean? How can I come to the Lord Jesus? How can I come to God? Well, we have it here again in Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's the first thing that you must do. You must seek the Lord You must be determined in your life to come to God. You must be determined to know him. You must seek him out. It must be the great pursuit of your life to know God. And what's more, you must seek him while he may be found. Of course, the implication there is that he will not always be found. There will be a time when you will seek him and not find him. You must seek him while he may be found. He may be found now. He may be found right now. We are living in the age of grace. And right now is a day of grace that God has given to us. And the Lord may be found right now. But you don't know how long you may be able to seek and find him. Don't think of putting these important things off, this most important thing in life. He may be found now, so seek him now. And then we're told to call on him while he is near. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. What does it mean to call on the Lord? It means to pray, it means to speak to him, it means from your heart to ask him, to come, to come into your life, to receive you. And remember, we're told that we're to do that while he is near. The implication is he won't always be near. There are times when God is near. You think of uh, blind Bartimaeus. Do you remember him? Blind Bartimaeus, we read of him. That's why I started that reading from Mark, not in chapter 11, the triumphal entry, but just a few verses before. Before Jesus entered Jerusalem, he came through Jericho and there was blind Bartimaeus sitting at the side of the road and he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So what did he do? He called out to him. Everybody said, oh, be quiet. He's not interested in you. But he called out all the more. Why did he do that? because he knew that he may not have another opportunity in his life to call out to Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He was near. But Bartimaeus did not know that he would be near again, and indeed he, wasn't. he wouldn't be near again. He was going on to Jerusalem and to his death. But at that moment, Jesus Christ was near. And you are told, and I am told, call on him while he is near. You know, when we're young, young people here, when you're young, I did it, you're doing it, you say, well, I've got plenty of time in my life. I've got plenty of time, maybe later on, I'll think about these things. Maybe when I get older, I'll think about these things. I've got things to do. I've got I've got issues in my life I want to sort out. I want to do this, I want to do that. Jesus Christ doesn't figure at the moment. I don't need him. Be careful. He is near Right now, you are hearing the gospel right now. You don't know that you will hear it in the future. You don't know what's going to happen in the future in your life. You don't know whether your heart will become hardened and you won't set foot in a church later on. Many a young person has grown up in the church and then now they are far, far, far away and they wouldn't even dream of going to a church. How is Jesus going to come near to them? if they're never going to come and hear his word. Yes, God is gracious, but we mustn't presume upon that. He is near right now as you hear the gospel and the command is call on him right now while he is near. And you are to forsake your wicked ways. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Coming to Jesus means turning away from other things. It means turning away from our old life of sinful wickedness. It means turning away also from our wicked thoughts, our evil thoughts. And it means turning to the Lord. So let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. This is what we are to do. We're to seek him, call upon him, turn away from our old way of life. And turn to the Lord Jesus. And wonderfully, there is a promise. You will receive mercy. You will receive free pardon from God. That is a great message, isn't it? Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. There's There's no doubt there. Don't doubt that if you come to the Lord Jesus in this way, that he will not receive you. Don't doubt that. Because it says here, he will have mercy on him. And we're to turn to our God, for he will freely pardon. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? But even as you listen to that wonderful gospel call and that promise, you might be thinking to yourself, it all sounds a little bit too simple, doesn't it? A bit too easy all you've got to do is to seek God that's all you've got to do all you've got to do is pray and and turn away from your old life and then you receive forgiveness is that it really I wonder if you're a little bit like Naaman the leper in uh, the Old Testament with Elisha goes to visit Elisha doesn't he he's got his leprosy he wants to be cured of his leprosy and Elisha doesn't even come to the door Elisha sends a servant to the door and then the servant's got this message oh you've just got to go and wash in the river and Naaman thinks that is far too simple it's beneath him he is a man of great dignity surely the great prophet should have come and pronounced some words over him maybe touched him but no he sends this messenger and, and you know that's the gospel God sends messengers who don't really seem up to much, really. Preachers like me, who just come and say to you, all you've got to do is seek God. All you've got to do is call on him. All you've got to do is to turn away from your wicked ways. And this God will come in mercy and in grace. And you will receive pardon for your sins. And you say, well, surely it should have been a bit more difficult than that. But it isn't. It isn't. There is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. So look, sinner, look, and you'll be saved. That hymn was written by Amelia Matilda Hull. She was the daughter of an army major who was a very, very strict man and, uh, in the 1800s. And, and he didn't have any time for Christianity at all. But she heard that there was a tent and an evangelist who had come nearby their village. So she went and listened for the very first time to the gospel. And she was absolutely intrigued by it. And it gripped her. So the next night she went back again. And on that second night, the preacher was preaching from that verse. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That all who look to him will be saved. And she went home and her father said to her, where have you been? Been to the meetings. You know, I don't like those ranters, he says. That's what he called them. I forbid you to go anymore. And what's more, you will report to me in the library tomorrow morning. He was a very harsh man. And I think he intended to punish her in some way. But Amelia that night had been converted. And so she wrote that hymn. There is life for a look at the crucified one. And the next morning at nine o'clock, just as he had said, she appeared in the library and she just put the, the hymn on the table. And he read it. And after reading it quietly, he just buried his face in his hands and he too was saved. Because there is life for a look at the crucified one. It is that simple. But it is also incomprehensible, isn't it? It's incomprehensible. How can it be that this is the way to be saved? How can it be that all you have to do is to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call on him while he is near? Well, the Lord knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? And so in the rest of Isaiah 55, we have four wonderful reasons, powerful, persuasive reasons why all you must do, all you have to do is to seek the Lord and call upon him and turn to him. We find in the rest of chapter 55, there are There are some verses where the word for, F-O-R, occurs. It doesn't always occur in the NIV. They've missed it out, sadly. But it occurs in verse 8. For, my thoughts are not your thoughts. It occurs again in verse 9. For, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. It occurs again in verse 10. For... As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, so is my word, verse 11. And it comes again in verse 12. For you will go out in joy. Now why does Isaiah say for, 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 for? He says that because he wants you to be absolutely certain of the gospel call. He wants you to be under no doubts whatsoever that if you seek the Lord, he may be found. If you call on him, he is near when you're hearing the gospel. If you forsake your old wicked ways and turn to him, you will receive mercy, you will receive free pardon. And, and Isaiah wants us to know that for certain. So he says these are the four reasons. Number one, for God's thoughts are not our thoughts. That's the first reason why you can believe this gospel. God's thoughts are not your thoughts or my thoughts. We would never have thought up a salvation like this. We could never find a solution to the problem of human sin. If we had lived for a million years, we would never ever have come up with a way of salvation like the true way of salvation. You see, how do you find a solution to the problem of human sin and divine holiness? How do you find a solution to our wickedness and God's righteousness? How can a righteous, holy, pure God welcome sinners? He cannot. How is that possible? We have sinned, we have rebelled against God, we are darkened in our hearts because of sin, and God is pure and holy and righteous. We would never be able to find a way. Our thoughts, you see, are not God's thoughts, are they? God has found a way to forgive us sinners and to invite us freely. There's very little like it in this world. Think about the NHS, though. We've thought about that a lot over the last year, haven't we? How do you devise a system whereby people, all people, whatever their age, whatever their financial position, whatever their background, wherever they live, how do you devise a national system so that everybody can receive health care free... At the point of their need. How do you do that? That is quite something, isn't it? But Aniram Bevin in 1948 found a way. And it's wonderful, isn't it, to be able to find a way. Something is absolutely free and yet it costs so much. Of course, we know how that works because of our, our system of taxation and uh, uh, so on. But nonetheless, it is quite remarkable. But that, that pales into insignificance compared to the wonderful way of salvation that God himself has worked out so that you and I can receive freely, at our point of need, forgiveness and mercy and grace, even though that is the most costly thing in the world. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So you can believe it. The second reason that we are given is that God's ways... Are not our ways? Verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. You see, again, you and I would never have saved people in this way. We would never have done it. Our way of salvation would have been quite different. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem would be our way. That would be our way of saving people. Yes, we would say, Jesus needs to come into Jerusalem on a great horse. the donkey, a colt, well, yeah, second best. But a great horse would have been better, wouldn't it? A triumphal entry, with everybody hailing him and praising him, and a great victory would have been won over wickedness. The Lord Jesus would come into Jerusalem, he would be enthroned as a king, and everybody would have worshipped him, and then he would have reigned forever. What a humble king riding on a donkey. We would never have chosen that way. We would have been like the disciples, expecting a great victory over the Romans any day. We wouldn't have done it that way, you see. We wouldn't have done it, that humble riding on the donkey. We certainly wouldn't have ended with the cross of Calvary. Calvary. We would have devised a way of people earning their salvation. And you know, deep down in the human psyche, there is always this sense that we've got to do something. We must do something to earn our salvation. Or perhaps we've got to be good people. And we convince ourselves that we are quite good people, really. Why would you ever want to seek the Lord when you're good enough? And we convince ourselves that we're actually good enough. Or that we can earn our way of salvation. Or that we can do something difficult. To show that we're serious. To show that we're worthy in some way. But you see, God's ways are not our ways. God's way of salvation is not that way. Praise him for that. That Jesus has done it all. And that we receive salvation. We don't earn it. Salvation is free. That's what it says at the end of verse 7. In some versions it says, abundant, pardon. But abundant and free are very much the same thing. And earlier on in the chapter, you're to come to him, verse 1, if you have no money. You're to come to him without money and without cost. It is free. You receive this salvation. Doesn't make sense to us, does it? You know, we're always very doubtful when we're offered something free. We say, oh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And generally there isn't. Someone has paid for it somewhere or you're going to end up paying for it later. And we say, free? Yes, the gospel is absolutely free. Because God's way is through Jesus Christ, his only son, paying for that salvation with his own blood. Not with silver or gold, not with anything perishable, says Peter, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. This Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the triune God, became a human being, took on himself humanity, lived in poverty, traveled the small country of Israel, spent just three years ministering, died at the age of 33, cruelly on the cross of Calvary. He died a criminal's death, condemned, even though he had never done a thing wrong. Because he took our sins on himself and paid for them. The righteous one, the perfect one, died for unrighteous ones. And Isaiah 53 explains it all. Just a couple of chapters before. We read, don't we? Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That is how God has devised a way of bringing a holy God and a sinful people together. That is how he can be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Because God's ways are not our ways. Thirdly, God's word is powerful and effective. Verse 10, the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they don't return without watering the earth. And that is like God's word. Isaiah is using this picture. And this is a third powerful argument for accepting God's invitation. We might say to ourselves, how can I really believe that that this is true that just because it says it there that it's going to be true of me when I seek the Lord well we need to know that God's word is powerful and effective if God says something it happens God's word does things right at the beginning of the Bible in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth how did he do it? And God said, let there be light. And in the same way that God says, let there be light, his word can be effective and powerful in your heart. If he sends his word from heaven and says, you will be saved, you will be saved. Because Jesus' word, God's word, is powerful and effective. Effective. And when he desires that it accomplishes something, it does. All you need is for God to say you are saved and you are saved. A little bit like the official's son. The official who came to Jesus and his son was ill, nearly dying. And and he came to Jesus and said, Lord, come, come to my house. My son is, is dying and Jesus doesn't go to the house. He simply says to the man, your son will live. The man goes back to the house and he discovers at exactly the same moment that Jesus said, your son will live, the son lived. Why is that? Because the word of Jesus is powerful and effective. And it will achieve whatever he determines that it would. The word of God is heard by sinners and it is powerful and effective. Listen to the little testimony of a young girl, 11 years old. Her name was Matilda. She was one of a very, very large family. Her father was the rector in uh, Poverbatch in, in Shropshire. And uh, this, is, this is what she says. She was 11 years old and she was afraid of God because she says she felt that all her thoughts about him were wicked and she couldn't stop them. I opened my Bible, she writes, and read the words, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. I shut the book more unhappy than before, for that verse brought my sin to remembrance, for I wanted to run away from him, not to seek him. I ran into the garden, frightened at my own thoughts. I stood under the large cedar tree there, not knowing what would become of me. But just at that moment, I felt all my wicked thoughts were gone. And I only desired to seek and to find that God whom I had tried to fly from. I felt he bid me seek him and not try to fly from him. And he spoke the words inwardly upon my heart. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. At that same time, a cry rose in my heart, which brought him very near. It was as if I heard Jesus Christ say unto God, He had taken away my sins, and I should go to heaven when I died, for he had died. And I felt he was God. Again, he said, Incline your ear and come to me here, and your soul shall live. Oh, the happiness I felt. I ran about the garden in an ecstasy of delight, saying, Now I have found something that can never be taken from me. That's it. That's it. The word of God came to her heart, you see. She knew the words, but then on that day when she was seeking him, he was seeking her. As a lovely hymn puts it, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not that I that found, O Saviour, true. No, I was found of thee. God's word is powerful and effective. If you seek Him, you will discover that He's seeking you too. And you will hear that voice of assurance in your heart that you are His. Don't stop seeking until you know that. God's word is powerful and effective. Finally, God's ways lead to joy. God's ways lead to joy. Verses 12 and 13 For you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you come to the Lord Jesus, you will receive joy and gladness in your soul. You'll be satisfied. You will never want to seek any other way because your whole life will become productive and fruitful. Instead of the arid desert of your heart, there will be fruitfulness and there will be life because there is joy when you come to the Lord Jesus. Isaiah has already mentioned this in chapter 44. Isaiah 44 and verse 21 Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you and you are mine. O Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all you trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. What a joy there is in being saved. Our sins have all been swept away. They've been blotted out. And we can sing for joy. God says to us, come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. On this Palm Sunday, I urge you to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call on him while he is near, to forsake your old life, whatever you've been, however long you've been away from God, away from Jesus. Forget that. Turn away from that. That's wickedness, that's evil. Turn to the Lord and you will find that he will have mercy on you. And you will receive free pardon for all of your sins. Don't doubt it. And if you're a Christian today already, don't doubt. This is the only way. It is simple, but it's real. And there is no other way to be saved except to come to the Saviour who died on Calvary's cross for your sins. Let's pray. O Lord, we thank you for your way of salvation. We confess that it is not our way and your thoughts are not our thoughts. But we thank you for your word that is powerful and effective and we pray that there might not be a single person in this room today or listening and watching online who does not know the powerful word of God in their own hearts assuring them of acceptance and mercy and salvation. Grant it for your own glory and honour, for we ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.